All right, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. There's a lot here and a lot that could be said. But for the point of this commentary, we're going to walk down through this section because it really does all hold together. So let's remember where we're at in the overall flow of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount by throwing open the door to God's kingdom wide to anybody and everybody, regardless of where they're at in life, regardless of where they've come from, their circumstances, their situation, their religious background. The door is wide open. God's blessing, that is his favor and goodness, is available to them in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into the world. And whoever comes into that kingdom takes on the mantle of being the light of the world, Jesus said. Uh, that's their vocation. That's their calling. And thus, Jesus isn't lowering the standard, lowering the bar by annulling the Old Testament law. Rather, he's fulfilling it, he says. And he's fulfilling it by both bringing it to its intended goal and climax, and he's fulfilling it in how he explains and teaches it and applies it. And so his followers must have surpassing righteousness. That's the entire setup for the Sermon on the Mount. And the main theme of the sermon is this idea of surpassing righteousness. Then after that setup, in the second half of chapter 5, Jesus gave a handful of examples of what surpassing righteousness would look like. Now here, beginning in chapter 6, we're shifting to really the second major movement of the sermon. And this section goes here from 6-1 all the way to the first part of chapter 7. And what Jesus does is he presents several barriers to surpassing righteousness. So he just gave some examples in chapter 5. Now he's going to give some things that are going to hinder that, get in the way of acquiring surpassing righteousness. And the first barrier shows up in this section. And that barrier is keeping up religious appearances. Jesus states the principle in verse 1. And then in the rest of this section, he gives the three most common ways that that could happen in his cultural context. So look what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, take care, or more literally, watch out, beware. That's the idea, not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And so the warning here is, and this is the general point of this whole section, watch out that you don't practice your righteousness in the sight of people. What does he mean by in the sight of people? Traditionally, it's translated before men, before people. That is, for people to see. Don't do your righteous acts in order for people to see, or as he follows it up, to be noticed by them. That's the problem. You are doing your religious deeds to keep up religious appearances. You want people to see you. You want people to applaud you. And Jesus says, if you do that, then you're not going to acquire the uh, surpassing righteousness that he intends for his people. You're just going to look good on the outside. In fact, Jesus actually says here at the end of verse 1 that if you do your religious acts for people to see and applaud and notice you, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. That is, um, God is not going to give you 
any kind of notice, any kind of reward. In fact, as Jesus will say in the examples that follow, you'll actually get the only reward you're really seeking, and that is to be noticed by people. So that's the general principle. Uh, And then after stating this principle here in verse 1, Jesus gives three key and visible markers of Jewish piety. Things from his own day that if somebody was going to practice their righteousness, they would definitely do these things. They would definitely give to the poor. They would definitely pray and they would definitely fast. So the pattern is set here in verse 1. Practicing your righteousness before people leads to no reward with God, and then it's applied to each of these three key practices of Jewish piety. Jesus starts with practicing your righteousness by giving to the poor. Look at verse 2. He says, so when you give to the poor, giving to the poor, or almsgiving in the older translations, was a key way to practice righteousness in first century Judaism. This is something that a righteous person definitely was going to do. In fact, it was considered one of the pillars of faithful Jewish religion. Give to the poor. And literally, the idea of giving to the poor here is showing mercy to the poor. But in keeping with the principle stated in verse 1, Jesus wants us to watch out for doing it to be noticed by people. So look what he says. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets so that they will be praised by people. Notice that's what they're aiming at. They're doing it with this intent, with this goal to be praised by people. And Jesus says that's hypocritical. He calls them hypocrites. The word hypocrite originally referred to a person in a play who put a mask over their face to appear to be the character in the play. But you can see from that how it came to refer to somebody who pretended to be something they weren't. They're wearing a mask. They're appearing to be something they're not. That's the idea of a hypocrite. They are trying to look spiritual, look godly, look you know, religious and righteous, but really they're not. They just want to be noticed by people. And he says, don't do it that way. Don't sound a trumpet before you. Now, some have suggested that maybe this is literal, right? That sometimes an actual trumpet was blown in the temple or whatever to announce a large gift. Or that maybe Jesus is actually thinking of the physical noise of uh, all the money being poured into the offering boxes. And their offering boxes oftentimes were shaped like a shofar, a Jewish ram's horn trumpet. And so maybe that's where this idea came from. And likely the image of the trumpet did come from that. But there's actually little evidence that horns were ever blown or that Jesus is being literal. Jesus probably means this metaphorically, similar to our English idiom of tooting your own horn, which means just trying to draw attention to yourself, wanting people to see you. That's the idea here. It's drawing attention to yourself, hoping to be recognized as, wow, look how righteous he is. And that's the force of the so that phrase at the end. So that, for the purpose that, people will praise them. Wow, what a generous gift. Look how incredible he is. And then Jesus says this at the, the end of that. He says, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. What does that mean? 
Well, that means that they got exactly what they were hoping for. If they were doing it to be applauded by people, well, that's the only reward they're going to get. They're not going to have any reward with God. God's not going to look at that and think, wow, that's really righteous. The only reward Jesus says they're going to get is the very reward they were hoping for, the reward of being noticed by people and praised by them. Now, in contrast, how should disciples of Jesus give? Well, look at verse 3. He says, but when you give to the poor. So he's still expecting us to do this. He's not saying giving to the poor is a problem, right? Jesus isn't saying don't do these kinds of righteous acts. No, just do them differently. Because if you do them to be noticed by people, it's going to hinder you from actually being genuinely changed and transformed, genuinely righteous from the inside out. And that's what Jesus is after. So when you give to the poor, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is, don't make a show of it. Uh, don't do it in a showy sort of way so that the hand on the other side of your body doesn't even know what's happening, right? Like, just keep it on the download. Don't make a big old show out of it. Jesus uses this as a clever word picture for not seeking to be noticed, as Jesus says in what follows. Look at verse 4. It says, so that your charitable giving, uh, that is acts of mercy, will be done in secret. So give and give in such a way that it will be in secret. It won't be noticed. And then he says, and your father, that is God, who sees what is done in secret, or literally who just simply sees in secret. God sees in the secret places. He sees the secret things. He can see things that other people can't, right? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is the reward that disciples of Jesus care about. They don't care about the applause of people. They don't care about being seen as spiritual or righteous. They care about being seen by their father uh, and having him notice that they're honoring him and doing what he wants. Then Jesus gives the second example. So the first one's giving to the poor. The second example is praying. So in verse 5, Jesus says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. So it's the same sort of setup as we saw with giving. When you give, don't be like the hypocrites. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, again, for the same goal, for the same purpose, so that they will be seen by people. The motive here is the same, to be noticed. To be seen, to be thought, wow, listen to him pray. Look at those prayers. Wow, he must pray a lot. He's super righteous or spiritual. Now, what happens if you are seen by people when praying? Well, remember, Jesus himself prayed out loud, and he was seen by his disciples so much that they wanted him to teach them how to pray like he did. So the problem isn't being seen by people. The problem is doing it in order to be seen by people. That's what makes it a huge barrier to surpassing righteousness. And again, Jesus says at the end of verse 5, Truly, if you do that, and he says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. They got exactly what they wanted. They got noticed by people and thought that they were super religious. How should followers of Jesus pray? Well, look at verse 6. He says, But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, 
and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, the same sort of thing. Do this in such a way that it's between you and God. Do this in such a way that what you really care about is connecting with God, being seen by God, being heard by God, not by other people. So disciples of Jesus pray for God's eyes and ears only, not to be noticed and not to be thought spiritual. And here at this moment, Jesus actually has quite a bit more to say about prayer, since prayer is so central to religious life. So he breaks the pattern for a bit. He he stated the principle in verse 1, then he's giving examples, giving, praying, and he's going to give the last one, fasting. But he breaks that pattern for a bit to give some more instructions about praying. So he goes on in verse 7, and he says, And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And this instruction here of Jesus in verses 7 and 8 highlights another problem with praying. The first problem was praying to be noticed by people. But this problem here seems to be praying uh, in a certain way with the aim of twisting God's arm thinking that if you go on and on and on with little meaningful content, God's going to be more likely to take note and do what you're asking him to do. That seems to be the problem that Jesus is getting at here in verses 7 and 8. This has been a kind of praying in numerous religions throughout history. And Jesus saw forms of it in the Gentiles or the pagan religions around him of his day. That They felt like it, the longer they prayed, the more they said recited their incantations and their prayers over and over and over again, that the gods would be more likely to hear them. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't pray that way. His solution, know who you're actually praying to. Know who you're praying to. Don't be like them, he says. Why? Because you're praying to your father in heaven. He's personal. He knows your needs. He actually cares about you. So, Just ask him, Jesus says. You don't have to go on and on. Just ask him. Now, with this in mind, Jesus then gives a template for praying, what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. And in the next recording, we're going to dive more fully into the Lord's Prayer. So here, let me just read through it fairly quickly with a couple comments as I go. The Lord's Prayer begins like this. Pray then, Jesus says, in this way. So don't go on and on and on like the Gentile pagans do. Pray like this, since you're praying to your father. Our father who is in heaven. That's who God is, and that's who we're addressing. Our father who who is in the heavens. Hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. The state's our desire. We want God's kingdom to come. That is his reign, his rule, so that your will is done on earth, just as it is in heaven. God's kingdom is where what God wants done gets done. It's, it's that way in heaven now, God's realm. We want it to come here on earth. So we pray for that. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the very common way uh, forgiveness and sin is pictured in Jesus' teaching. It's pictured as making someone indebted. Forgiveness is Uh, letting the debt go, not making them pay the debt back. And so forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil or even deliver us from the evil one. And so we'll talk more about that prayer in our next recording. 
But notice the line about forgiving our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. That line uh, leads to an important side note here about forgiveness in verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your offenses. What Jesus is saying is, is that there is a direct connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of other people. Why is that? Well, it's because forgiveness begets forgiveness. It's just the way it works. In order to receive God's forgiveness, we must humble ourselves and beg for mercy and beg for pity and grace. And that very act, when genuine, necessarily shows itself in extending mercy to others. So much so that to fail to extend mercy to others reveals that we haven't genuinely humbled ourselves and begged for mercy. That's the connection that Jesus is assuming here. Uh, And that's why uh, you could say the road to glory is paved with stones of forgiveness, right? We we must forgive uh, in order to be forgiven. And Jesus is going to explore this in much more detail in Matthew chapter 18. He's going to give a whole parable there uh, about this very thing. In fact, a parable that almost is like amplifying these two verses. So we'll have a lot more to say about it there and the nature of forgiveness and how our forgiveness of others is connected to God's forgiveness of us. We'll explore all of that more fully there in Matthew 18. Let me just say at this point that uh, the root idea of forgiveness in Matthew and in Jesus' teaching is this idea to release an offender from their obligation to pay. And that's costly. Um, And when we pray for God to forgive us, that's what we're asking him to do. God, I can't pay this debt. Please don't make me pay. And Jesus' assumption is when we genuinely do that, and mean that, and recognize that, that leads to such a change of heart that we're willing to be gracious and merciful to others as well. All right, then at this point in what Jesus is saying in the sermon, he returns back to the third example, the third key act of Jewish piety. If someone really wanted to practice their righteousness, well, they would definitely fast. So look at verse 16. Now, whenever you fast, Do not make gloomy faces as the hypocrites do. Again, we're talking about the hypocrites, those who are appearing something they're not. They're uh, appearing to have deep-seated righteousness, but they put on a gloomy face. Uh, The idea is uh, that they, they kind of look disheveled. They look a little haggard. They look worn out, right? And it's obvious that something's wrong because they want people to notice them. Notice what Jesus says in the second half of verse 16. For... They distort their faces so that they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. They want people to notice they're fasting. Notice that something, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting today, right? They want to be noticed that they're fasting. Jesus again says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Once again, they get exactly what they want and only what they want. Um, They get the accolades and the attention of people, but they don't have any reward with their father in heaven. But what about Jesus' followers? How do they fast? Notice Jesus says in verse 17, But as for you, when you fast. Now, Jesus, we have to notice this, Jesus just assumes that his followers will fast. Uh, 
He assumes that fasting is going to be part of their devotion to God. Granted, it was common in his Jewish context, and I'm sure that shaped his thinking, but it was also common among the early Christians because they took Jesus at his word. And so verse 16, whenever you fast, verse 17, when you fast, Jesus just assumes that, and the early Christians took him at his word, so much so that in some circles of early Christianity, they fasted every Wednesday and every Friday. They just assumed that. So when you fast, and then here's his instructions. Here's what he wants you to do. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. This is the opposite of making your face gloomy, right? Uh, in my cultural context, we might say, shower and shave, or take a shower and do your hair, right? Like, don't do anything different. Just get ready for the day as you normally would. Anoint your head and wash your face. That was the standard way somebody would prepare themselves for the day. They would put a little bit of olive oil on their head. They would put a little olive oil on their face. They would wash their face, right? And they would get ready for the day. And Jesus says, anoint your head and wash your face, verse 18, so that your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret. This is, if you're going to acquire surpassing righteousness, then we do our righteous acts to be noticed not by others, but simply by God. This is between us and God. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Again, the same basic point that Jesus made. You do this, you do your righteous deeds, not to be noticed by others, but to be noticed by God. Uh, you do it for the audience of one. And so this leads to our kind of concluding reflection here on this section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first barrier to surpassing righteousness. Keeping up religious appearances will keep you and I from actually becoming like Jesus from the inside out. Uh, again, I have more teaching on this. A lot more could be said about each of these topics. And so if you check out my Bible and Life podcast, as I've noted before, I began that whole podcast five years ago by studying in detail through the Sermon on the Mount. You can find the recordings on each of these little sections, and I give a little more teaching on some of those things. I'll try to link some more of that eventually in the study hub as well. Uh, the point, however is just what's stated in verse 1. Don't do things that are taken as righteous deeds to be noticed by people, whatever they are. Praying, giving, fasting, having a quiet time or reading your Bible, scripture memory, preaching, whatever it is, things that people would say, man, that person is super uh, spiritual, super religious. Man, that person must have an incredible relationship with God. We can do things that fit that category uh, to be applauded by people. And if we do, then um, we're not going to be deeply transformed on the inside. And that's the goal that Jesus is after. Now, what happens if people find out, say, that you're fasting? Or if they see you praying? We've mentioned that already about seeing you praying. The fasting one is a common question in discussions of fasting. What happens if someone finds out I'm praying? Well, no worries. No worries. Um People might find out. Uh, people fast in groups. We even see that in the Bible and in the New Testament. Uh, they fast in groups. The issue is not if people find out. The issue is doing it so that people see and notice and applaud you for it, right? Don't arrange things in such a way, hoping that someone will, will find out so that they'll pat you on the back for it. Rather, we do our righteous deeds uh, for the audience of one, that is for God himself. 
and the God and God our Father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. And at the heart of that reward will be a deeper walk with him and deeper transformation from the inside out. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the listener's commentary on the New Testament. The listener's commentary is made possible because of the generosity of folks just like you. So uh, thanks a ton to those of you who make this ministry possible. And if you've been impacted or challenged or blessed in some way by the listener's commentary, would you uh, consider joining the team of supporters? You can do that by swinging over to listenerscommentary.com. You can click the Give button, or you can click Sign Up for the Study Hub, and you can put in a dollar amount. If you're going through the Give button, it'll take you to a page through World Family Missions uh, site. Uh, that is my page there, and you can put in a dollar amount. You can check a, a box that says Make This Monthly, and you can give a recurring monthly donation, or you can give a one-time donation as well. So thanks a ton for your support.